Hello. You've tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome again to the program. And reputations is built on what others see of you. Character is what God sees in you. A wise man is one who has control of his life, control of his tongue, and is open to correction. We're in Proverbs chapter 15, where each verse speaks to us of wisdom, learning, and correction. Let's continue our proverbial search for wisdom with Dr. Corbett. Our, our parliament and our governmental system is, is actually founded on Christian principles. And, and, and those Christian principles sound like some of these ideas, that everyone has worth, everyone has uh, something to contribute. Th these are deeply, deeply held Christian values that have helped to form our country. And ironically, it's these self-same values that are being used by those who would seek to oppose Christian influence in our country, which is rather ironic. The alternatives to a, a, the form of government that we have, which is um, a democratically elected government in, um, where legislation is discussed in what's called a parliament. Parliament means a, a house of talk and then it's reviewed in a Senate is, a, is probably not the best system, but it's the best we've got. It's the best we've ever come up with in human history. And so uh, I want to encourage Christians to have a go. And uh, Bronte, you wanted to be the first female, you wanted to be the first female Prime Minister. She was so disappointed when, when Prime Minister Gillard was uh, elected. But I did point out to her that she hasn't been the... Prime Minister Gillard was not the first elected female Prime Minister. So there's still a chance. Still a chance. But I think it's great that Christians want to get involved. And you've heard me say this many, many times, but two of the greatest preachers that ever lived, John Wesley, George Whitfield. George Whitfield is arguably the greatest preacher that has ever walked the planet. Preached in such a way that at times tens of thousands. In fact, there was a time when around 100,000 people came out into an open field to hear him speak. And these men led tens of thousands of people to Christ. At the end of the day, which was that day was a 40-year day, so they preached from about 1740 to about 1780, there was actually no more people in church than there was when these two amazing preachers started their preaching career in England. Incredible. What had essentially happened was that the thousands of people across England who were going to church were going but were not Christian. They were churchgoers and you know there's a difference. They went to church, but they didn't know Christ. And at the end of that 40 years, there was no impact on the nation. Slaves were still bought and sold. Children were still sent into unsafe work conditions in, in intolerable factories. And we have uh, women who were mistreated. And this was all going on in 18th century England. And it was at that time, if you've seen the movie Amazing Grace, that a man by the name of William Wilberforce was converted to Christ about the age of 23 or so. 
And he came from a life of hard drinking, drugs and gambling. And as a result of him coming to Christ, he went to his pastor, who was John Newton, the author of the song Amazing Grace, which hence the title of the movie, and said to him, what should I do? What should I do? I've become a Christian and I'm a politician. What should I do? And so John Newton said to him, whatsoever state the Lord found you in, there remain. And so he, he, he wondered how he could remain in politics because everyone knew that every politician was corrupt and he was now a Christian and he didn't want to live corruptly. And so one night there was a dinner party where some people came to him and said, Mr Wilberforce, we understand that you are undecided as to how you can both serve as a Christian and be a politician. We understand that you're considering retiring from politics and becoming a minister of the gospel. Mr Wilberforce, we suggest that you should do both. Remain in the parliament and speak God's word to the country from the parliament. This began around about 1790. Over the next 40 years, William Wilberforce was in Parliament arguing as a solo voice. He was the only Christian in Parliament when he, when he became a Christian. Imagine that. At the end of his political career, he had led and encouraged. He had led people to Christ in Parliament and had encouraged other Christians to take a stand. And there were many Christians in Parliament by the time he retired and around about 1830. The result was this. Church historians note that during this time, there was no great preachers. But this is what was happening. Willie Milberforce was arguing the Christian perspective on legislation in the parliament. He was getting death threats for it. He was being accused as a bigot. He was being accused as someone who was against the national interest of England because he was seeking to undermine one of the chief commercial activities England was engaged in, which was slavery. And so he copped a lot. When we recently got our dog, we, we got our dog from the RSPCA, which William Wilberforce started, because he said the gospel must have an impact on the way we treat not only children, not only women, not only slaves, but it must have an impact on the way we treat animals. So... At the end of his parliamentary career, the church attendance, which Wesley Whitfield had remained the same, with under Wilberforce, it went through the roof. Through the roof. Thousands, tens and hundreds of thousands of people became Christians because William Wilberforce had the, the spiritual tenacity to take a stand in the parliament and speak what was right. Around 1810 or so, he was accused in the parliament of wanting to legislate that all of England become Christian. And he said, he rose to his feet and he said, I wish I could. If I could, I would. But no legislation can change the human heart necessary for that person to become a Christian. It's true. But Wilberforce knew 
that every piece of legislation was in fact a statement of morality. It was. Morality is the measurement of right or wrong. And Wilberforce argued that if you're going to, if you're going to legislate for what's right, you might as well legislate for what God says is right. So when we as Christians say abortion's not right, same gender marriage is not right, euthanasia on demand, voluntary euthanasia on demand is not right, we are saying it not because we think this is the Christian message, but because we think this is best for society because God says so. So I hope we can understand kind of what's at stake here and I hope that we as Christians can engage wisely about this. Please turn to Proverbs 15. We're looking at being a proverbial person, being a proverbial family, being a proverbial church. As you've got Proverbs 15, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you some questions. Hopefully you're going to engage with me this morning. You're going to think. I'm going to share some things. You're going to think about it. You're going to ponder some things. And hopefully you're going to come to some commitments that you may not have come to. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would guide us, lead us, and show us things that we need to know in order to live the kind of life you want us to live. Jesus, take your words and put them into me and help us to hear what you have to say right now. I pray. Amen. All right, here's my, here's my question as we look at Proverbs. And in particular, we're going to take Proverbs 15 as, a, as an example of some of the things that Proverbs has to say. So here's my question. Who are you? I want you to ponder that for a minute and, and let me continue. What makes you, you? What makes you, you? What has shaped you? I guess if we were to discuss this, we would say our parents had a big role in shaping us and I hope they did. We could say our teachers had a big role in shaping us I presume that's correct. We could also acknowledge that our friends have a, have a huge impact in shaping us. We could also say that our experiences, how many times have you heard a person come through a prolonged near-death experience and they now view the world differently? They are a different person, a fundamentally different person. So we have our parents, our teachers, our friends and experiences that make us who we are. So I guess if I was to ask a, a, a question in follow-up, because getting through to someone, connecting with someone is, is actually in the second question, isn't it? It's the, so here's the second question, and, and it goes like this. If you know who you are, if you know why you are the way you are, are you in control of your life right now? Are you in control of your life right now? I guess I could ask that question differently. What are you doing to control your life right now? What are you doing? While you've got Proverbs 15, maybe put a, one of these things, which is called a, whatever it's called, in, in Proverbs 15. And come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. When you become a Christian, you go from a life that is under constant 
influence from others to a life that is now directed by someone else. And rather than you losing control, this person is actually interested in you gaining control of your own life. This is amazing what Jesus Christ will do in a person. Hopefully we all know this this scripture. We used to sing this as a scripture in song passage many years ago. And this is what it says. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love. And what's that last one? Self-control. You may have sound mind. Self-control. So power, love and self-control. You ever thought about that? You surrender control of your life to Jesus. And what does he do? He wants to give back to you power and self-control. Isn't that radical? It's almost like the, it, it sounds counterintuitive, counterintuitive that, that if I give him my life, I'm surrendering it. Well, yes, you are. But what's he going to do? He's going to give it back to you. But he's now going to give you the power to live the kind of life you should live in order to be the person you should be. Now, something's got to change when that happens. Now, you've got to think about this, that the Holy Spirit is going to work the life of Christ into you so that you are increasingly in control of your life. Maybe not the circumstances. In fact, note to self, definitely probably not the circumstances of your life, but definitely, absolutely, note to self, You'll be in self-control more and more the more you yield to Christ. On the inside, you can know peace. I think this is just really, really critical to understand. So as we look at what Christ wants to do in us, look at these three things that have to change, that God wants to do in our life. He will give us love. He will give us not a spirit of fear. What's the opposite of a spirit of fear? Spirit of courage. He'll, make, he'll, he'll get us to do things we never thought we could do. He'll give us courage to do it. Sometimes things need to be said to people that we don't have the courage to say. Yield to Christ and he may give you the courage to say those things. Yield to Christ, he'll give you power. And self-control. Now come with me back to Proverbs 15. I need you to understand that the kind of life God wants you to live is a life where he gives you power. He empowers you to live. There are so many people that think if, if I yield to Christ, he's just going to kind of do it all. I'm just a passive recipient in this. And that's not quite true. That's not quite true. He calls us to live in a self-controlled life. Now, Proverbs 15, I want you to, I want you to see here that the, the very things that we have to learn to become self-controlled about are in Proverbs 15. And, and as we grow, and hopefully you see from 2 Timothy 1.7, that it is Christ's intention that you grow. You grow up as a person. You become more resilient. You, you become harder to offend. Hand up if you're really, really easy to offend. There were people who didn't want to put their hand up because they were offended at the question. 
Look, I get offended way too easy, you know, and I know I've got to grow up. I need to take myself aside and have a darn good talking to myself sometimes. Or, or just get my wife to do it most of the time. <laughs> but honestly, I pout, I sulk, I carry on like a two-year-old at times. And that's not right. And, and someone can do something that offends me and I... It's pathetic, really. I've got to grow up. And if I'm going to grow up, I've got to take what Proverbs 15 tells me in these three key areas. And that process of growing up, there's actually a Bible word for that. When you come to Christ... That's called salvation, getting saved. And something takes place inside. It's called regeneration, all these really big words. But from that point to becoming who Christ wants you to be, do you know what we call that? Who knows? What's that? Pain. Yeah, pain. <laughs> what else do we call that process? starts with sanctification. <laughs> sanctification, very good. It's called sanctification. That's the Bible word for it. So this process of sanctification is going to change the way we speak. It's going to change the way we learn. It's going to make us teachable. But it's also going to do one more thing. According to Proverbs 15, we're going to see this. And I think it's the consistent message of Scripture. It's going to make us less offendable. And, and, and the word for that is more correctable. Correctable. I think it's a, a wonderful thing. And we see from the closing proverb in chapter 15 that it says, if you want to apply all of this, this is the kind of attitude you have to have. And just sneaking ahead, it says you have to have a humble attitude to be the person God really wants you to become. All right. So those three things, the way you speak, the way you learn, and the way you correct it will change as you grow in Christ. He will give you the power to implement those things, he will help you to become more self-controlled in those areas. The way you speak. Sometimes I speak without thinking and almost, almost immediately regret it as I've just done it. When we look at these three areas, the way we speak, I've discovered that when you come to Christ... The first thing to change is not necessarily your language. And I've been around new Christians long enough to know that when they come to Christ, they're still dropping the, 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 the expletives and the words that they shouldn't, you know. You know, eventually as they grow up, they'll, they'll, they won't speak that way anymore. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of a person undergoing growth in Christ is the way they speak. But then I've discovered, because I used to, you know, at least, hey, at least I don't swear. Yeah, but I could still be cutting with my comments. I could still get angry and just speak without holding back. I could just say things in the heat of the moment that makes the way I speak even worse than the, than the new Christian who's dropping expletives. So when I want to learn how to be the kind of man that God wants me to be, and I know who I want to be, I want to be somebody who is what Proverbs describes, someone who's wise, someone who's teachable, someone whose mouth 
utters considered words, someone who is able to learn and someone who is teachable, correctable. So when we look at Proverbs 15, I'm putting some of these Proverbs into three categories. Some I'm going to call uh, W for words. Some I'm going to call C for correction. Some I'm going to call L for learning. And if you see in my Bible, I've gone through and I've put CLW next to parables because I want to I, I want to quickly look at it and go, okay, this is telling me I've got to become correctable. So that, that's, that's what I've, I've done here. So have a look at these. We're starting Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. See if you can pick which one this is. Your words, your correctableness or your, ability, your need to learn. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Obviously the words you use. So Proverbs is telling us that the, the way we use words can either create a problem or diffuse a problem. Now, every leader has to learn this. I think every parent is a leader. Therefore, every parent has to learn this with their children who at times will do things wrong. There are some times when your children do things wrong and you just need to not, not deal with it right now. Just let it go, let it go, let it go. And then invariably, your child may come to you down the track and go, Dad, I... I did, I, I scratched your car on the way out. And you saw it happen. Imagine if you saw your child driving a car and they scratch your car on the way out. What the? What do you mean? Blonde head driving. You could actually create a scene. Am I the only one seeing this picture? <laughs> You're all looking at me like, no, no. But, but, but if I... Maybe you can, you can put yourself in whatever the scene is where if you speak in the spur of the moment, you're going to create a bigger problem than the actual problem you think you're addressing. So a soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes a soft answer is a humorous response. Sometimes it's just diffusing something. What about the, the person who's attacking you for being a Christian and they, they're just firing all this stuff at you? Imagine you know, what some Christians do. They don't give a soft answer. They give a hard answer. Yeah, well, rotten hell, buddy. You know, it's like now you've got a fight on your hands and it's not helpful. And, you know, well, at least I'm not going to go to hell like you. For, you know, it's like this is not helping. Please, time out. Can we just reverse the clock, erase that and try again? Imagine someone responding like this. They're under constant fire for someone. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're going to beat me up, do it slowly. Can you see what we've just done? We've just given a soft answer. Now, Denise thought it was funny. No one else did, but, but can you see that? If you're going to beat me up, whoa, 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 if you're going to beat me up, see, they're angry at you, they're angry. Whoa, 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 if you're going to beat me up, do it slowly. Now, start again. Now, what was the first point you raised? Now, you've just turned it from the emotion to the actual issue. A soft answer turns away wrath. Your boss is swearing at you, carrying on. You should have done this. You da, 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 da. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't mind getting beaten up, but I can't stand getting beaten up quickly. Could you just slow down? Now, what you've just done is you've just 
taken the steam out of things. A soft answer turns away wrath. Using our words wisely. Next verse. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. Now this could be the way we use words, and I think in this instance it is, because I, I, I read that and I think, well, hang on, is this telling me that I need to have a heart and a hunger to learn? Yeah, well, it, it could be, except that this is how we can tell what most of the Proverbs are saying by the next line. Read the next line, because what the next line does in Proverbs, you have line A, line B. Line A says something, then line B is trying to say the same thing, but in a different way. So line B says this, but the mouths of fools pour out folly or just silliness, just foolishness, folly. So this is talking about the way we speak. So the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. The eyes of the Lord, verse 3, are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now this is really uh, something that comes down to learning because if you can if you if you know that God is watching you all of the time you're going to live differently because the world builds people's reputations but God is interested in building people's character and reputations is built on what others see of you character is what God sees in you and sometimes God is the only one so we need to understand this The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He's always constantly watching. Verse 4, a gentle tongue, here we go, sounds like verse 1 again. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So the way we speak can either heal, tree of life, or it can break people. So be careful how you speak. Verse 5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. I'll put that one down to being correctable. Parents need to correct their children. They, you are charged to do it. Correct your child. Verse 6. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. And the difference, whenever we see righteous and wicked, I'm going to put this down to what people know. In other words, what they've learnt. The righteous have learnt to live in a certain way. Do you live righteously? Have you learnt to live righteously? It means you have to have a hunger to learn. Verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the mouths of fools. So these, some of these proverbs are repeating the same sentiment, that we need to be very careful how we speak, how we spout off things that we say. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now, what kind of sacrifice is the guy writing this, presumably Solomon, thinking? Well, he's actually thinking when the wicked pray. He's actually thinking when the wicked pray, that is an abomination to God. What? Why? And how do we know that? Well, we know that from part B. Have a look at part B. What does it say? Something like, but the prayer of the righteous, he accepts. Something like that. God, well, The prayer of the righteous brings delight to the Lord. Something like that. So it's contrasting what the wicked do. So when the wicked who refuse to bend the knee, who refuse to confess Christ as Lord, who refuse to do what God wants, who completely disregard God's laws, then come to him and say, oh God, I'm in a spot of bother. Could you help out? We read about this in Proverbs chapter 1, where it says exactly this. 
And the writer of Proverbs says that is an abomination which carries the idea of a stench in the nostrils of God. So let's not be religious hypocrites. The way, verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. What's that telling us? Don't hate reproof. Don't hate the one who corrects you. Have you ever been corrected by someone when you didn't invite it? Ever had someone come up to you and say, listen, what you did was wrong. What you should have done was this. Now, how do most of us respond? What have I just told you? Don't you dare try and correct me. And when someone comes up to us, what you did was wrong. What you should have done was this. They're about to correct you. And the Bible says, don't despise that because that could save your life. That could save your life. But doesn't that require a completely different attitude to the attitude the world possesses? The world says, get lost. Don't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? I did that well. It came very naturally, actually. It's... <laughs> Verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man? So again, God is watching. So be correctable, be teachable. Verse 12, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. So they won't go and ask for help. They won't go and ask for advice because they think they know it all and they don't want anyone telling them anything different. And, and Proverbs saying, don't be like that. Don't live like that. In, in Scripture, there's, there's a progression of how you approach someone to correct them. The first, the first step, this is just by the way, first step is encouragement. Now, last Sunday night, I saw Jacob playing and I came up to Jacob after the service and I said, Jacob, that was excellent. This is what Jacob was doing. Jacob was playing here. There was a music stand here, which I hate music stands on the stage. And so he was playing and he didn't regard it at all. Not at all. Didn't even look at it. Didn't even refer to it. He's playing away. And as soon as I saw Jacob playing like this all last Sunday night, I thought, that didn't just happen. He's memorised the songs. And I realised as someone who tried and failed to play guitar, I know that... To memorise songs takes a lot of hard work. This, this young man has been practising and I saw it. The other thing he did was this. He was watching Sonia, just constantly watching. That is, that is exactly what we try to get musicians to do, watch the, key, the, cheat, the, the, the lead musician. And he did it. Now, I don't know if anyone's ever told you to do that, Jacob. Has anyone ever told you? So when I saw him doing that, suspecting that he didn't even know what he was doing was really, 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 really good. I went up to him and did the first, the first step in correction. The first step in correction is encouragement. We've just got a dog. We have to teach our dog and correct our dog. So guess what we do when we see our dog do the right thing? Oh, good girl. Oh, good girl. You see, what I'm doing is next time... Poppy goes to do something on the deck, which Kim loves. I don't. No, Kim hates. She's now going to think, I was a good girl when I did the dumpies on the grass rather than the deck. I'm going down to the grass. See, I've corrected her behaviour through encouragement. Now, what happens if encouragement doesn't work? Then we've got this thing called admonish. Admonish is don't do dumpies on the grass. 
do them over there. Please. I've admonished. We then go to reprove, which is hands on hips, finger pointing, angry. <laughs> That's reprove. Now, parents, some of us, some of us parents are, you know, are loath to get angry with our children, but sometimes anger, in what if you, hey, it, it, anyway. The next one is rebuke. And that's where you employ hands on hips, finger wagging, voice, anger, the whole thing. That's rebuke. Wow. Now, here's something that's really scary. The greater the responsibility you hold in leadership, the more down the chain it's going to take to correct you. And the Bible says if an elder steps out of line, they should be, anyone know, 2 Timothy? Rebuked what? Publicly. That's right. An elder should be rebuked publicly. Now, I don't know what that looks like to you, but it wouldn't look pretty at the time. So let's come back. Come, come back with me to encouragement. <laughs> and here we have verse 13. A glad heart makes for a cheerful face, but by sorrow the heart uh, of heart, the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. That's a desire to learn, an eagerness to learn. What, what books are you reading? I often ask people this. What, what are you reading at the moment? Great that you're reading the Bible. You should be. But what else are you reading? What else are you listening to? What podcasts are you downloading? What, what are you doing to learn? Because that's what a person being changed into the image and character of Christ is going to do. Someone, they're going to have a heart to learn. But the mouths of fools... Feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The way of a sluggard is a hedge of thorns. But the path of the upright is a level highway. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. It's about correcting, being correctable. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding, how do you become a man or a person of understanding? You learn. Walk straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. That takes learning. It also takes an ability to be correctable. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. W, that's, that's a, a statement about the way we use our words. The path of life leads upright for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The Lord tears down the house of the proud but maintains the widow's boundaries. Verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Note that. <laughs> Something about being slow to speak, says James in chapter 1. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. The Lord has given you two ears and one mouth. Just remember the ratio. The Lord is far from the wicked, 
but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof, see how it's described? Life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. I would have thought that would say whoever despises instruction despises the one giving it to them, but it doesn't. It's, it's a, something you injure yourself if you, if you are not teachable or correctable. But the... Uh, where are we? We're down 33. Of 32. Whoever ignores destruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence, being correctable. So how do you respond when someone wants to correct you? How do you respond when someone comes up to you and says, that was wrong, you should have done it this way? Well, Proverbs seems to be saying that we should listen. We should take it on. We should then ponder, are they right? Sometimes we're criticised and we're so easily offended, we miss out on how this person is helping us to become the person God wants us to be. Are you too easily offended? I'd have to say I am and I need to change. I need to be the kind of man Proverbs 15 is talking about, a man who is not going to despise life-giving reproof. Now, we come down to the last verse, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honour. So here's, here's where I want to wrap this up. There's two types of wisdom. There's the type of wisdom, and this has been brought out by both of our previous speakers, Jeff, who mentioned this, and Tony, who mentioned it um, as well, that there is an earthly wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes, and it's the wisdom of the world, and it's generally called common sense. That's the wisdom of the world. But then there's wisdom that comes from God. That's heavenly wisdom. And that's the wisdom that the book of Proverbs is talking about with a good dose of common sense. But it's God's wisdom. To get God's wisdom, you have to be someone who's surrendered to Christ. You have to be. That's where it starts. You then have to be open to being changed and allowing God to use people and circumstances and teachers and friends and others to bring correction and change into our lives. You have to know that you may become wise. You know, it says in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, but let them boast in this. Anyone know how it goes? That they know me, says the Lord. We sing that song, by the way. It's Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Knowing God is where wisdom starts. Secondly, in the, in the next chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, realising that there's a type of wisdom that comes from God and knowing what the book of Proverbs says, Jeremiah realises that we have to have a heart that, be, that can be corrected. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 24 says this, O Lord, correct me, but do it Gently. You want to make that your prayer? I've made it my prayer. God, correct me, but do it gently. What does it take to correct you? Can you be corrected from encouragement? Or do you need to be admonished? Is admonishing not enough for you? Do you need to be reproved? 
or do you need to be rebuked? You tell me which one it is just to help me to understand how to pastor you better. Just after this. I'm, the, I'm a rebuke type person myself. I'm just, I don't think I'm going to get too many of them. <laughs> ah, it sounded funny when I said it in my head, but anyway. <clears throat> Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and, and 10, it says, listen, if, if you think you don't need to be corrected, You've got a heart that's just like any other human heart, deceitfully wicked above all things. Poof. Wow. Now think about this. Who is Jeremiah? At what level is Jeremiah speaking to the people of Israel at this point? Encouragement or rebuke? It was definitely up the rebuke end of the scale. And he says to them, the heart is above all things the most wicked thing on the planet. Well, I don't want my heart to be. And as we close with this prayer, a prayer inviting God to change the way we speak, a prayer inviting God to change the way we learn and to give us a fresh hunger to learn, as we pray and close and ask God to change us and correct us, perhaps you're at a point where you've never given your life to Christ, you haven't started the journey of wisdom. I want to invite you on that journey. Perhaps you're here as a Christian and you know Maybe you may, you may have been in the Christian walk 20 years, but really you've just lived one year of your Christian life 20 times over. And now it's time to grow up. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, put a muzzle over my mouth. Guard the way I speak. Help me to speak words of wisdom, life-giving wisdom into people's lives. Help me, Father, to be able to speak in a way that people receive instruction, light and life. Father, I pray that for all of us. And Lord, if there are those here today who have never given their lives to Jesus Christ, perhaps out of fear that they'll lose control of their life, when in fact the very thing Christ wants to give them is self-control, I pray that you, listening to me right now, will surrender your life to Jesus. And it can begin just with a prayer, just with a prayer that says, Jesus, take my life. I give you my life. Help me to live for you. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to cleanse me and give me a fresh start. Help me to live for you. And if you're a believer here today and you know you're too easily offended, you don't take correction well, you don't take disappointment well, you take moments where you could fly off the handle and you do, instead of giving a soft answer, instead of treating this as a learning moment, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring correction into your life. And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me as well. We're in this together. Lord, I want to grow in the way I speak. I want to grow in my hunger to learn. I want to grow in my ability to be corrected. Help me to become teachable. But Lord, I'm with Jeremiah on this one. Do it gently. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A wise man is well in control of his tongue is a learner and is correctable. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, A Proverbial Search for Wisdom, Part 3, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. 
Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.